0: Today I want to look at the standard. There's been a lot of talk about standards and different things. So the title of the message is The Standard. Dr. Seuss, Mr. Potato Head, and Ravi. It's a rough one, but it's about the standard. Um, When we talk about standards, we're talking about, uh, I think about, little Dave was talking about math earlier, a ruler. A ruler is something that's 12 inches. An inch is something that someone has a, a standard for somewhere. I remember when I studied physics, we used to talk about standards. So standard would be the one thing that represented the thing. So there's a a meter. Meter is a certain a, a distance that we have, a little bit over three, three yards what a meter is, around three yards. There is a standard meter somewhere in a museum. I think it's in Australia somewhere or Europe, one of those two places where this is the meter. All of the meters must match this, okay? It's the standard. And so when people make uh, meters, so if I go to uh, Home Depot and buy a yardstick, and if you really line up all the yardsticks together, you see some are a little taller than others, some are a little smaller than others. If I buy one of those rulers that you pull out and stretch out, you notice if you pull it all the way out, it says 32 and a half feet. But if I pull another one out, the other one 32 and a half feet is a little bit off, okay? But there is a standard. And so we said, okay, we're gonna use this thing called an inch here in America. And 12 of those things called inches, we're gonna call a foot. And that's how we're going to measure things. So when this house was built, when these shelves were built, uh, when this floor pattern was built, it was built on the standard of an inch. It's what it is. If I wake up one day and say, I want an inch to be this, won't ever happen, no matter what I want. The standard of that inch is not determined on how I feel that day. It's not determined on how anyone feels, okay? An inch is an inch is an inch, a standard. When we look at the word of God, we talked about it when we were looking at uh, uh, John last year. When God created the world, the Bible said that he looked at it and he created it and he made it good. That means that the world he created, he made it to a standard that he approved of. He had an approving standard. The problem was we, humanity, stepped in, and we looked at God's approving standard, and we said, nah, I don't want this to be an inch. I want this to be an inch. This is, I want to do what I want to do. And so we veered away from God's standard, which was, You can walk around and say, this is the inch all you want to. You won't end up dying. But when you veer away from God's standard, the result is death, physical and spiritual death. So God put standards as he created the world and how he set up every institution that he set up, he set up with standards. And he took his standards and he put them in 66 books. He got about over 40 authors uh, from three different continents in three different languages. I'm sorry, except more than three continents, three different languages. And he put his standards in this book so I could have it. So I'll know what an inch is. So I'll know what a foot is. So I'll know how he decided. Now, the things that's good about standards are things are created to spec or made to spec. This television here has a whole bunch of stuff on the inside, but it's not just stuff. It's very specific stuff and it's very specific stuff that has been made to a standard. If someone said instead of three capacitors to make this screen work, I'm gonna use two capacitors and a cheese doodle. It's something. Problem is cheese doodle isn't up to standard <laughs> to get the flat screen television, television to work. There is a specific standard that must be met for this television to work as it was designed, to work properly. So God, when he created us and he created the world, he created us in the bounds of that standard. So that if we operate, conduct ourselves, conduct our thoughts following his standard, then we would operate properly and live life successfully, spiritually physically, emotionally, blah, blah, blah. When we decide, oh, by the way, his standards apply to everybody. An inch is an inch in America, in Africa, Puerto Rico, in Colombia, in Spain, in Cuba, wherever you are, an inch is an inch, regardless of who you are. And so God's standards are the same. They apply to everyone. God's people, not God's people. Christian folks, Muslim folks. God's standards still apply To us all. When we look at standards, our responsibility all through the scripture is to abide by, to follow, to obey, to keep. When we don't, there's a slippery slope. And I hate that word, but I've lived it at times. (laughs) You start here with a standard and then you decide, eh, maybe. And then what you end up is a TV that doesn't work right. What you end up is you put a house together and the walls don't meet where they should. You got a gap there. You got to go get some gap filler. You got to smooth that out to mess up, to to fix your mistakes because you did not follow the standard properly. We're going to look at three things, unfortunately, that we as humans and hopefully not we as Christians do to standards. The first one we're going to look at, our friend, Dr. Seuss, and we're going to talk about relaxing of the standard, and I'm not gonna get into, uh, you- you've seen the news, I won't get into a lot of detail on any of these three uh, topics, because what I wanna do is I wanna use this to see how does this apply to how I'm supposed to live. When you look at Dr. Seuss, um, uh, 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 a lot of talks been going on, what happened is, uh, apparently there were some books that he wrote with some pictures in it that his family, the Dr. Seuss Enterprises, which was built by his family, woke up one morning and said, hey guys, uh, we're not going to print any more new copies of these six books. They're out there. We're not going to burn down Dr. Seuss. We're not going to have a book burning session. You know, we're not going to go to Universal and tear the building down Dr. Seuss land. I don't know if that's what it's called, but it's close enough. Uh, but these six books, and he, Dr. Seuss got a trillion books out there. These six books, we're not going to print any more new copies because of some of the images in there. The actual statement says these books portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong, says the Dr. Seuss Enterprises. They told that to the Associated Press. Dr. Seuss, first of all, I I didn't know anything about this guy as I was studying this. I didn't know he was that old. Like, he was drawing pictures and stuff in 1920. I thought Dr. Seuss was, like, in the 70s. (laughs) I was way off, okay? 1920s. So you have to take your mind back to what was going on in 1920, all right? Uh, slavery was abolished what 40 years ago? If I'm in 1920, about 1880 something. All right, so we're still in the midst of all this craziness that's going on. Uh, he he used to do cartoons before he started writing his books, and I'm telling you this because I'm building the story of where he was and how we got to how we got to where we are. He used to build dry cartoons uh, in a magazine called the Jack-o'-Lantern, and in this magazine, he used to depict people in racist ways different ways. Uh, he depicted Jewish people with oversized noses, um, black male boxers he presented as gorillas. He was drawn up to look like uh, gorillas. Uh, he used to consistently portray Africans and African-Americans as monkeys or cannibals, uh, surrounded by flies. And he used to have no problem using the word "nigger" as he wrote on his, uh, uh, in his magazine. Um, he had one sign, one cartoon he wrote, and you know, like the editorial cartoons, not like you ha 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 comic book cartoons. Um, when he had a picture of a whole bunch of black folks, uh, big thick-lipped black folks, black face, big red lips, and a sign above them reads, it was a department store, take a high-grade nigga for your wood pile, you can go buy a nigga. This is Dr. Seuss. This is, this is what he's writing. Uh, he used to depict Japanese women and children, uh, again, in racist tones, uh, in their speech, like or they're talking and messing up words. Uh, he had some anti-war hysteria cartoons he used to draw saying that these Japanese who are here in America, they're going to turn on us. Um, he had a cartoon that he wrote called Slap a Jap, and it was a, a fly uh, person, and they had slanted eyes, and it was a fly, and it was like, we can get rid of these guys, Slap a Jap. And so he had, he had all these things. So, th- so this is kind of stuff that he wrote, racist xenophobic depictions of Arabs, Muslims, black people, Asians, as caricatures or monkeys in subservient positions to white men. So. This, this is what Dr. Seuss did. Then he transferred into books. So in the cartoons and in some of the books that he wrote, when you look at some of the depictions, and his family, who runs the Dr. Seuss enterprise, looked at it and said, no, some of these depictions look too much, like granddaddy's drawings of old, portraying some black folks as animals, some Asian folks in, in the stereotypical ways, uh, uh, so on and so forth. And so they decided that we're going to stop producing these. Now, there's been a, I don't know if I want to call it an uproar, <laughs> but there's been a lot of opinions about this. Uh, you hear some folks saying, oh my goodness, the cancel culture is back. They're canceling everything. Pretty soon, I saw one, one guy on my Facebook page wrote, what now? We can't drink black coffee? Are you going to change brown sugar now? i tell you. And I'm like, uh, okay, that's, you can have your Facebook. Let's write your opinions on Facebook. That's what it's there for. And then we see some people, oh, Dr. Seuss should be burned at the stake. We need to go find his bones, re them, put the kerosene on them, light them, and burn them again. And every Dr. Seuss book we should burn. And if anybody has any Dr. Seuss in their house, you should burn it. So, so you got some extremes to the spectrum of what's going on. My question is, we're talking about standards, as the body of Christ... Was there a standard here that was kind of strayed away from? And so I looked at the Bible and I started thinking about stereotypes. The main thing was in his art and in his drawings, he drew in such a stereotypical way these characters. A stereotype is an oversimplification uh, of an assumption or a belief about a person or a group of people. And it's based on generalizations. You know, black folks, they. Or you know, Spanish folks, they. Or you know, white folks, they. Or you know, Asian folks, they. Okay? Uh, 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 and it usually comes from generalizations or limited interactions with that person or the group. Most of the times, they have negative connotations with them. And with that, there's a type of racism or sexism, uh, or sometimes they're even motivated by hate or willful ignorance. What they do is they force you to focus on the negative connotations of a group of people and to throw them all in this group instead of focus on the individual as God's image and As believers, we are called to love, not hate. We've that it all through the scriptures. We're called in Matthew 10 to be informed and not ignorant. In John chapter 7, turn with me there in your Bibles. John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus was talking. We're going to be looking at a lot of Jesus talking today. Jesus was talking uh, to a group of people. John 7, 24, Jesus is talking, and he says, he, he's talking about uh, Sabbath, and uh, what, what happened was um, somebody was sick, Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day, and everybody got all crazy, like, oh my goodness, it's the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to work, you just healed the guy on the Sabbath, oh my goodness, so Jesus was like, I mean, come on, guys, you, you're focusing on the wrong thing, the man is healed, you, you're focused on what's going on on the Sabbath, and I just healed the guy, like, that's incredible. And he asked him, he said, so let's say, you know, according to Jewish tradition, they had to get circumcised on the eighth day. So he said, let's say the eighth day fell on a Sunday. What, you going to do not circumcise them? Oh, no, we have to circumcise them. Right. Is circumcision work? Well, yeah. Boom. Leave me alone. That's what he said, leaving up to that. And so when he did that, he said in verse 24, stop judging according to outward appearances, rather judge according to righteous judgment. So Jesus said, listen, stop judging. Now notice there's no period after that. People like to do that. The Bible says don't judge. Don't judge me. can nobody judge me but God. It says stop judging according to outward appearances, rather judge according to righteous judgment. When we look at judging to righteous judgment, that word that judge means to be of an opinion, to deem something, to think of something. Jesus said, we're not supposed to think or focus or have opinions on outward uh, uh, appearances, but our opinion, our thoughts of people should be according to righteous judgment. That means justice, impartiality, and fairness. In Leviticus chapter 19, I talked about it in an earlier scripture, uh, Padia talked about last week, but in Leviticus uh, chapter 19, verse 34, God was telling the children of Israel how they were supposed to live in this new land they were coming. He says, listen, you will regard the alien who resides with you as a native born among you. You are to love him as yourselves for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Jesus said, God said, his standard is that we are to love people who are not from where we are from as we love ourselves. So with love comes a whole type of different thing because we're talking about biblical love. And that biblical love is expressed in different ways. And so if God is saying that those who don't look like me come from my my culture, come from my land, whatever, whatever, I'm supposed to love them godly, God's love, the same way I love myself and those who come from my land and those who come from uh, where I'm from I'm supposed to have that same love for them. And so hate, or things that are born in hate, or things that are developed in hate, or even ignorance that has a foundation in hate go against God's standard. And so what we have, with Dr. Seuss, is we we have kind of a relaxing of the standard. He's not just, you you look at the books, and you look at everything, it's just not all full-blown racism. But it's it's a little of this, a little of that, little of maybe. And what happened, that standard there, as followers of Christ, I'm supposed to love. I'm supposed to not hate. I'm supposed to make sure that I treat them exactly how I would like to be treated. That standard, in this case, has been relaxed a little bit. And then, as Christians, our number one thing, it goes back to that appeal, reconciliation. So as as I talk about this among my friends and my family, as I live in this world, how does this help? the ministry of reconciliation that I've been called to, or how does this hinder the message of reconciliation? By me promoting, or engaging in, or allowing, or saying, ah, oh, there's nothing wrong with it, you're getting too caught up, you didn't relax, it's just a picture. Does that help promote reconciliation, all people's groups to Christ? Or does it kind of shun them away? We are to continue in purposeful pursuing of godly biblical standards, no matter where we put them on the rank of scale. We got to look what God says and that's where we stand. Somebody wrote, and I thought this was incredible, I was reading an article on the whole Dr. Seuss thing. Somebody said, I think it's important for people to understand that a lot of Dr. Seuss's racism here is operating unconsciously. It's something he learned from being steep in a very racist America culture, which remains true of America culture today, although in different ways. So I thought about that. And I said, okay. So what they're saying is that Dr. Seuss wasn't full-blown like straight up racist. He just allowed the culture and the environment that he was in at that time. We're talking 1920s, okay? 1930s, 1940s, a lot of stuff going on. He allowed that culture that he was in to infiltrate into the work and the art that he produced. I said, wow, that's crazy. Because we can be affected by the environment that we're in, we can be tainted. By the culture that we sit in, that we are around, that we see, that we get up and operate in, that we go to work in, that we talk to our family, that we go to the grocery store in, we can be affected by that culture such that though I don't consciously stray away from God's standard, I can relax God's standard subconsciously such that the art or what I put out on my words or my thoughts or my actions have a little relaxation of God's standards on it. So we, as followers of Christ, have to be strong. We cannot rationalize away God's standard, attempt to explain it or justify it, or or, or, listen, come up with logical reasons or or plausible reasons uh, 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 for things that are, are true or inappropriate. We shouldn't compromise accepting standards of the Lord than what God set up and we shouldn't water it down. We can learn two things here. One, I think it's what, one uh, 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 I think we can learn is the fact is that there's a group of people who uh, say, well, people are too sensitive. You stop being so sensitive. I better offended over everything. And that's true. People are really, really sensitive today. The only issue is when the offense is based on hurt or pain or based on hate versus love, the second commandment, God's second commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself. God said, love the alien, love the people that don't look like you, don't come from where you come, as yourself. When the offense is based in hate and pain and goes against God's standard, then that offense is legitimized biblically. So this whole folks talking about the cancel culture, sure. There's a, there, I think there is some over exaggeration of don't look at that, don't do this because of this. Our response as the body of Christ is say, hey, when biblical principles are violated, God's standards, call it what you want. Cancel culture, kick it out culture, get rid of it culture, but get rid of it as the body of Christ because they go against God's standard. You might say, well, you know, that's bigger fish to fry. It's a little kid's book. It's things like that. And again, the focus is not on Dr. Seuss. The focus is on... How at times, as a body of Christ, we can let the environment that we are around seep into our thoughts subconsciously, such that what we produce are things, actions, thoughts that relax God's standard. God's standard is here, but because I allow the environment to control, sometimes I do this. And it's, just, it's a book, it's a kid's book. It's not, I mean, who's, who's dying because of this? But I start down that slippery slope by relaxing the standard. In Revelations chapter two, John is, actually God, is Jesus is talking to John and he's going through some churches and he gets to verse 12, he talks about this church to uh, 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 Pergamon and he tells, he said, listen, this church in Pergamon, he said, starting at verse 12, he said, listen, to the church of Pergamon. I got something I need to tell you. all I got something you need to know. What you need to know is that you're following the teaching of Balaam. And he writes in the text what that is. The teaching of Balaam in context is that there uh, uh, there was a temple there uh, uh, to Baal and, and, and it was a big temple and a bunch of people went and the Christians that were there in that city sometimes find themselves frequenting the temple of Baal. My, my uncle is going, and I want to support him. It's, it's the kid's birthday. It's going to be at the Bell Temple. I worship God, of course, but it's a birthday party for my niece. So I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to go like this. I'm not going to look at anything. I don't want to be there, but you know, it, it's, it's family. and Family is important, and I can use this as an opportunity to bring him to Christ. So I'm going to go to the Bell Temple. And what was happening was, Church folks, the body of Christ were compromising biblical standards, religious compromise and moral compromise in that city because the environment were around. Or was not overt? It was little stuff. And Jesus said, listen, you need to fix yourself. He gets down to verse 16. He says, repent, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth even slight compromises that go against God's standard, God says, no, we don't want to do that. Which brings us to Mr. Potato Head. So with Dr. Seuss, we have a relaxing of the standard. Mr. Potato Head, we got a redefinition. You see the two R's? I'm working on my, I'm trying to step my preaching game up. Relaxing of the standard. Now we are the redefined, redefinition. See, I messed it up, just like that. (laughs) Just, Just preach, don't talk about it. Just keep moving. Stupid, stupid. Okay, <laughs> the redefinition of a standard. So, you've seen uh, Hasbro. They said that they're no longer gonna call uh, 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 Mr. and Miss Potato Head, just gonna be the Potato Heads. Uh, later on, they put out a, then like everybody went crazy. Like I heard Twitter went, like lost their mind. You know, some people, again, the two perspectives. Oh my goodness, cancel culture. Now, what are we gonna do? Barbie? We gotta get rid of Barbie now? Somebody said Hasbro? Are we gonna get rid of the bro and call it Has Them? <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) It's extreme. And then the other stream, well, it's about time, because I tell you, this Mr. and Mrs. stuff forcing these kids to choose genders when they don't have to choose a gender, because gender is just made up, and it's all made up. And so you got your two extremes. And they were going crazy, and they were fighting back and forth. Um, I saw this comment by uh, Rich Ferraro. He's Glad's chief communicator officer. GLAD is a gay and lesbian and some AADs group. I don't know what all the letters stand for. But it's a, 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 a homosexual group, and he's the chief communications officer. He's the one that stands for GLAD and tell him this is what I'm saying. He says this, and I quote, Hasbro is helping kids to simply see toys as toys, which encourages them to be their authentic selves. Watch this. Outsides outside of the pressures of traditional gender norms. And I looked at that. The pressures of traditional gender norms. You break that four words down. Pressures, traditional norms. So he's saying that there's norms. No norm, how things... normally should be he's saying that those normal things are traditional meaning there's norms how things should be and they've been this way forever but those things that should be that's been this way forever are creating pressure on our young people so we because they feel a certain way so what should we address here the feelings well, the norms. Well, Mr. Rich says we got to get rid of those norms. The world says, "Look inward to see." I'm sorry. Look inward and be who you feel you are on the inside. That sounds plausible. Who knows? That's the word. Just clap for that. Look inside and be who you feel you. Don't let anyone judge you for being how you feel. Because how you feel is truly what's on the inside. It's not on the outside. You're not being affected by norms or traditions. It's you on the inside. So look inside and allow that inside to come out. The problem with that, biblically, is there's a verse that says in Jeremiah that your insides are deceitful and desperately wicked. Now, when you look at that, deceitful, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. When you look at deceitful and desperately wicked, it's, I love words and how words break down. Deceitful and desperately wicked. When you go back to the original language, what Jeremiah was saying, what God was saying is that your heart, your insides, your thoughts, your inward feelings are incurably sick They are disease, and it's a disease that develops gradually as to be well-established disease before you even know it's there. It says that it's subtly treacherous and seductively harmful and enticing. That's what that verse says. (laughs) So if my insides are incurably sick. And I disease and the disease on my insides is such I don't even know it's a disease until it's too late, full blown, and it's about to kill me. And it's subtly and it's treacherous and seductively harmful. Should I be looking on the inside and making decisions based on that incurably sick disease, subtly treacherous, enticing feelings? God said no. That's not, that's not where my identity comes from, how I feel. And so we can get in an argument on, on sexuality and gay and this and this and this and this. The, the issue comes down to this. I have feelings and urges that God has put in me that I have. I have some feelings and urges that God did not put in me that I have. Okay? Based on anatomy, based on who I am, I have these things. And based on that, I have the... Uh, 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 I need a good word here, Uh, prolification, might not be the word, but I've got the, uh, uh, we'll go with ability. I've got the ability, that's a much easier word, (laughs) to (laughs) to act on these feelings and urges and desires that I have, okay? The issue is, and I tell my brother this all the time, I said, man, the problem with us is we fooled around and got saved. That's the problem. We fooled around and told Christ, Christ, I'm going to follow your standards in everything in my life. Once we slipped into that area (laughs) and got into what Paul calls Ephesians, the in Christ thing, now even my desires, feelings, that I have all the ability to appease, I can do it. I've got, I'm going to grow. I got this. I got that. I've got all that. But God has said, oh, there's some standards that I'm giving you along with those urges and the ability to do those things. And so you take those urges and those abilities and you take that and you put them in my standard and then my way comes out. So I can't go out here and treat other women like my wife physically who are not my wife. Oh, I could. I physically have all the parts necessary to do so. But by doing so, I am stepping outside of the standard. I'm redefining the standard. So people say, hey, you can go out here and do what you want. Don't be bound by marriage. Go out here and experience physical whatever, 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 because we're redefining what that is. Sure, God said that this is reserved for marriage, but we're going to say it's not. Well, that applies to me. I have to. No matter what urges, what feelings, what thoughts, what desires, I have to go back to the standard and say, am I going to redefine what God said I can do? Or am I going to do what God said I can do? And so I have to put those standards on me and I have to operate within those standards. Now, if you are someone who has feelings towards someone who has the same gender as you, no one's going to condemn you for your feelings. Because it's a feeling. The condemnation comes when you act on those feelings outside of the standard that God said. God said that that type of relationship is from husband and wife. So if that's not your husband and wife, I don't care what gender they are. You are operating outside of the standard. Oh, by the way, that's husband and wife as defined by the person who set the standard for what husband and wife is. Male and female, according to the word of God. So do we hate folks? People with gender this, and I'm gender that, and I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. No, we don't hate them at all. Am I mad when the government said they could be married? I might get crucified with this, but I'm not. I don't get up in a, oh my goodness, gays can marry now. The world is over. Dumb doom. That's your choice. You do what you want. I know a lot of brothers out here. (laughs) Can't say that. (laughs) I know a lot of brothers out here. Uh, uh, adulterizing around, and we ain't losing our minds about that. We don't hold conferences about that. We're not quick to, well, my vote is going to be whoever. Cool. It's important. But anything that falls outside of the standard that God set, we have to hold to the same level. Because what happens, we try to redefine the standard and then we fall into trouble. God has set a standard for these things. In Matthew chapter 19, turn there quickly. They tried to trick Jesus again, he's casting something else. They came to Jesus and they said, We're going to get him. John the Baptist had just been beheaded. Matthew chapter 19. John the Baptist has just been beheaded uh, because he spoke about King Herod operating outside of God's standard. King Herod had a wife. He went and found his wife's sister, I think it was, and went and had husband-wife relations with his wife's sister. Then he went on and married her, divorced his real wife, and married this new wife's sister wife. John the Baptist went out and was like, Yeah, that goes against God's standard. You're redefining marriage, you're redefining uh, 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 consummations of marriage, all of that stuff. Well, King Herod didn't like it, chopped his head off. Jesus came to the city and the Pharisees got together and was like, yo, check this out. John's dead because he spoke against divorce and remarriage, right? I I got the Jesus fix. We go ask Jesus about divorce, throw him a trick question, he said divorce is wrong, boom! John the Baptist, you'll see your cousin again. We can get him to have his head chopped off too. And so they got Jesus, they got him, and, and, and Matthew chapter 18, they came to Jesus, and they're, they're so clever, these Pharisees. Oh, uh, Jesus, quick question. Uh, is it lawful, verse three, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Now, if Jesus says no, <laughs> Herod is gonna be slicing and dicing. If Jesus says yes, well, that goes against the Bible. You want so everybody can just divorce now, Jesus, huh? So they thought they had Jesus a quick another trick. Unfortunately, it was Jesus. He ain't phased by that stuff. Listen to Jesus' response. Haven't you read verse four? That he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. Now stop, Jesus. I didn't ask you about gender. <laughs> I asked you about divorce and marriage. Jesus' response to them was, "Don't you remember Genesis?" What says that God made the male and female? See, before you can understand the institution of marriage. But Jesus was saying here, before we talk about divorce, we need to talk about marriage. And before we talk about marriage, you better understand gender because gender is important for marriage, which is important for the question you just asked me. Why? Because marriage in the Bible, God sent marriage. The first institution he ordained was marriage. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 2, marriage. God ordained it. He said, therefore, if you read it, the man shall leave, a man and woman shall leave their parents and cleave and become one flesh. That seems odd. He just finished creating animals and trees and stuff, and then he jumps into this. That's why a man leaves his mother and father and come together, a man and a woman, and they become one flesh and get married. I'm like, okay, what man? There's only one man here and one woman here. What are we talking about? God was setting up the tone because this union of one and two become one was a mirror image of salvation reconciliation. You see it in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's talking about wives submit to your husband, husband love your wives, blah, 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 blah. Then he says, oh, by the way, what I'm really talking about is Jesus and the church. Because the husband and wife marriage is a mirror to Jesus and the church. And so once you, Satan knows, once you dilute the husband and the wife, then you dilute the Jesus and the church. Satan said, I can't jack up this Jesus church thing, but if I jack up this marriage husband-wife thing, I know, Satan, because he's smart, that that represents Jesus and the church and the union and reconciliation. You say that the marriage supper of the lamb. Jesus calls himself the groom. The groom is here. The groom is here. Marriage is a mirror image of what God did in salvation and reconciliation. God don't play with those things. That's why Moses didn't see the promised land. God told Moses to speak to the rock, Moses hit the rock. God said, you hit the rock? I told him to speak to the rock. Oh, by the way, all that work in the 40 years you did, you're not gonna see the promised land. You're gonna die before you get there. And when I read that a little, I was like, oh snap, that's a (laughs) a pretty big uh, punishment for hitting the rock. But as I got older, the rock was a type of who? Christ, living water in a bearing land. You speak to the rock and God will produce living water. Jesus said, I am the living water, he told the woman at the well. And so the rock was a type of Christ. And so when Moses hit the rock, he disrespected and defaced Christ. When we disrespect or deface marriage, we disrespect and deface Christ. So Jesus said, oh yeah, this marriage thing starts with gender identity. He said, haven't you read that he made them male and female? Then he said, and for this reason, notice, for this reason, because I made a male and female. That's not an accident. That's not, oh, just use some words. No. He said, because I specifically made humanity male, gender, and female, gender, because of that, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his female wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Gender identity foundation of marriage which is the foundation of reconciliation the ministry reconciliation what christ did with the church and so when we say well let people call them who they want it doesn't really matter but it does it so does because what it does it redefines the standard that god put in place We have to be careful. Instead of adjusting or redefining the standard, I should actively and purposefully adjust my life, my feelings, my emotions, my actions, my thoughts, my heart to line up with the standard instead of allowing my heart to redefine the standard. That's what happens when we fall into that trap. Let them figure who they are. One day they'll make a choice. Let their heart decide the standard. There's only one inch. There's only one true meter sitting somewhere, either in Australia or Europe. (laughs) I'll find out later. It's only one standard; it's God's standard. And when we stray away, when we redefine that standard, we fall into trouble, which leads us to the last point: the removal of the standard. And my boy Ravi Zacharias. I grew up listening to Ravi. My goodness, I got his podcast on repeat. The man had a way of words and breaking things down, concepts that are mind blowing. This man had a way he could walk into a a, a Muslim country, into a synagogue with the head Muslims in the country and sit down with them and tell them, yeah, you're wrong, Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is God. And they wouldn't chop his head off. Like Robbie, okay, let's talk. Incredible. Recently, actually a couple years ago, there were some allegations that came about Robbie and, and I'm not gonna get into all the details, there's some allegations, and then there was a, a, an investigation done, and we found some physical evidence. So there's some allegations, and then there's actual physical evidence. The problem is, even if you threw all the allegations, our allegation is he say, she said. That's pretty much what we said. Some woman said he did this, he said this. Ravi said I didn't say this, I didn't do that. There's no physical evidence to prove the allegations. Just so happened that there are a lot of allegations from a lot of different women from different continents who don't know each other and have no way of knowing each other or communicating with each other. And all the allegations seem to be verbatim in each and every case. Those are the allegations. Allegations that he requested, pursued, and or engaged in physical contact inappropriate outside the confines of biblical marriage, outside the confines of the standard that God has provided. Then there's a the physical evidence. There's some physical evidence uh, that he actually admitted to being involved in an inappropriate, emotional, non-physical relationship with a woman other than his wife. He used ministry funds to financially support at least four young female masseuses over several continents monthly. Ravi Zachariah money going to their pockets. One lady he gave forty thousand dollars to go to cooking school or something. Documented. This is these aren't allegations. It's, the company, Yeah, here, here are the receipts. And here's her name, her name, her name, and her name. Uh, inappropriate amorous. Amorous. Amorous? Amorous means romantic, affectionate, or impassioned. Inappropriate romantic communications with women who are not his wife, some of which imply that their relationship had a physical component. I can't wait to again. Can't wait to again with you. I remember when we... And it felt good, so I can't wait till we, again, this is his cell phone that they pulled out and see emails and text messages that he sent to XYZ. Purchasing jewelry for women other than his wife. Over 200 pictures of young women other than his wife in various poses and varied amounts of clothing in various suggestive poses. Robbie, my man. Um, the end game of all this you start relaxing the standard. It's just Dr. Seuss, just children books. You start redefining the standard. I don't like the way that makes me feel. My inside says, this should be the standard. It's just a potato, but pull out the eyes and nose and lips. But then you get to the point where you start to remove the standard. You take the standard and you say, you know what? <laughs> I didn't relax it too much. I didn't redefine it enough. This is me now. This is, this is what I do. One thing that, was, that hit me hard, I read the report. It's a 13-page report. Actually, it's a pre-report, and it's 13 pages, that this independent company did. I know I'm a little bit over, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, this independent company did a report. They put out a 13-page, so I read it, because I want to know. I'm not going to read what this guy on YouTube said or his Twitter said. I want to know exactly what they saw, so I read the 13-page report. One thing that stood out to me and slapped me in the face was a statement that said, one of the women said... Um, Again, this, this goes into the alleged category, but she was one of the Seusses. And again, when I, when I, when I talk about the alleged, I'm not at all demeaning them. Because I said alleged because Robbie is not here and there was no proof of this. But when you have various multiple independent collaborated allegations that all say the same thing, the same way to people who don't know each other, who didn't have time to collaborate, let's get together and say this. All right, got it. One, two, one, three, let's go. When well, you don't have that and it all lines up and says the same thing, don't look good. This one woman said that Robbie told her that the relationship they were in when they engaged in physical contact appropriate outside the confines of biblical marriage. She said that he called her his reward for living a life of service to God. See, so you can rationalize and stand it away. You can theorize and the stand it away. You can excuse it, come up with reason and circumstance. Well, since this, then this. Robbie had legitimate back issues. Fact. He had a back issues that the doctor said, the only way you're going, you're never going to be healed from this, Robbie. Okay? You travel too much. So the only way you're going to get relief is by getting masseuses. I, I recommend you get some masseuses. You travel with a masseuse. Everywhere you go, you get a massage. Because that's the only thing that's going to help release that pain. I was thinking about uh, Louisa uh, uh, and, and that back pain. Okay? So he had, so legitimate massages by professional licensed, certified masseuses. He had the mentality that he deserved it because that's what happened. When you start relaxing the standard and then redefining the standard, you get to a point where you remove the standard and you can inside, that inside. Remember, the Bible said that at heart, it starts off subtly and then that disease grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and and now it's like, I deserve this. This is my reward for worshiping God. What's the lesson here? Don't think that God's use of you is a direct reflection of your standing with him. We got that in the Bible. You got Samson. Samson did nothing right. (laughs) Everything that God said do, he said, what's that, God? Got it. Nope. Every single time. Don't drink wine. You got some wine, good. Don't drink honey. Got some honey, good. Don't mess with dead stuff. Hey, there's a dead thing. Let me go play with it. Marry only people to Israel. You, Israel? No. You, Israel? Yes? No. You, Israel? Yes? No. You, Israel? No. Yes, let's get married. Every single standard that God set for him, he did the exact opposite. But the Bible said that God used Samson mightily. And it was often right after he did something he shouldn't have (laughs) done. You look at the story of Samson and Judges, and you see God using him to kill 600, 700, 8,000, 5,000, a million, destroying. The Philistine's an enemy. God was using him every day mightily more than you've ever seen before. But his life that he was living, front behind the scene, was opposite. Don't be confused that God is using you, that you're in right standing. Due to an incurable, disease, subtle, treacherous condition of your heart, Proverbs chapter 4, turn there. Guard your heart. If you read the report on Robbie, you see some things that he could have done. He said he used to roll with this one guy, used to travel with him to be his accountability partner. That guy didn't do a good job. Robbie had things set up such that even though his accountability department was there, things would go on that his accountability partner wouldn't know. Solomon set his son down and he said, son, listen, daughter, listen. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 23, guard your heart above all else. I like the way the King James put it. King James put the above all else first. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Oh, because it's an incurable, sick, diseased that grows subtly and treacherously and enticingly until it kills you. It's filthy. So guard it, what goes into your heart. From your thought life, and through your thought life, God wants to minister to you. If you do that, what would happen? Guard your heart above all else, for a source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Govern your speech, he said. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Woo! Guard your eyes. The Bible says your eyes are the well springs to the heart. What you see, what you allow yourself to be around, what you allow yourself to look at, gets inside that heart and it feeds that heart. So you can either feed that heart good stuff or you can feed that heart the stuff that will continue to allow it to be an incurable, sick, diseased. Carefully consider, 26, the path of your feet and your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Solomon set his son down and said, listen, guard your heart above all else. Because if you don't, you start relaxing the standard. Then you start redefining the standard. And then eventually you'll just remove that standard out the way. Another way of saying it is just load up on the word of God. Get God's word in your heart. My, Your word have I hid in my heart so I will not sin against you. How can a young person keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stay from your commands. I'm going to read Psalms nineteen seven, and I'm going to sit down. God's standards. David said the instruction, the standards of the Lord is perfect renewings one life. The testimony, the standards of the Lord are trustworthy, making the unexperienced wise. Verse uh, 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 8, the precepts or the standards of the Lord are right, making the heart gland, glad. The command or the standard of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord, obedience to his standard, is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances, the standards of the Lord are reliable and not altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold That in the abundance of gold, sweeter also than honey, dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is worn and by them. And in keeping of his standards, his instructions, his testimonies, his precepts, his commands, the fear of the Lord, the ordinances, in keeping of them, there is abundant reward. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, God. We pray, God, as we live in this world of Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head and Robbie Zachariah and all those things that each one of those stories teach us, God, of relaxing your standard, redefining your standard and eventually removing your standard, God, I pray that we, like Solomon told his son, guard our hearts, that we put up that fight, we put up a watchtower, we put up a couple of guards at the gate of our heart and we continue to feed your heart, the word, the word, the word. So we will continue to operate inside of your standard and work like you created us to. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.